Average Joe Travels the California Inscape Season 6, Body Double Trouble Episode 3, Knock on Wood Story conceived and written by Penguin Pete Turbovich Hubcaps jimmied by Clyde Wren and Dodge Zelko Featuring the vocal stylings of This Is Signal, with Asher Ephraim as Spanky. It was another miserable night at the Umpire Hotel, which managed to be both cold enough that you wanted to sleep in a sweater, and humid enough that you'd wake up drowning in sweat. The giant buzzing neon sign outside provided illumination so I could keep an eye on the roaches trundling around my nightstand. This time, my nightmares weren't about snakes, but about Anne. She had changed somehow, like she had become the Mrs. Hyde version of herself. She pointed a wand at me and said she could no longer trust me. Then she said... Joe, wake up. But that wasn't my dream. I sat up groggily and mumbled acknowledgement. She was knocking on my door. Her voice came through. Good morning, Joe. I'm taking a cab over to Slater Hospital. Come meet me there when you catch up. I responded, but milady, tis the witching hour. Ha <laughs> Joe. Wisecracking as always. See you there. That was the wrong answer. Therefore, this was not Anne. I listened as not Anne's shoes trotted away. Then I hurried to get dressed. I went over to her room and knocked on her door. Anne, time to get up. It is the witching hour. The curses are half price. Come in. Aha, uh -huh. the correct answer. Anne and I had set up this little code to confirm identities between us, since there seemed to be an imposter about. I came in to find Anne, mostly dressed, crouching behind the dresser in her room and peeping at the window. I saw her. She walked right past my window. I saw my own face. She has a way to block her aura, so I can't see it. I don't know who... Or what she is. Well, we can safely assume that whatever it is, it goes by the name Zelda. And between the impersonated note yesterday and this clumsy ruse today, she wants us to go to the Slater Hospital in the worst kind of way. Anne agreed, and as Spanky sleepily emerged from his room and came over to Anne's, Anne fiddled with her tarot cards, but could not produce a definitive answer. However, she drew the tower card, a nasty-looking illustration of a lightning bolt striking a tower and sending the hapless occupants flying. She held it up as she intoned, Though the tower your name rightly be. You are Slater Hospital to me. The card spontaneously burst into flames in her hand. She quickly dropped it and stamped it out on the hotel room carpet, which was so dirty that the char mark was hardly noticeable. 
She concluded from this that this Zelda person meant to set up a trap for us at the hospital. But what was her motive? And how did this tie into disappearing bodies at Reaper's Row Cemetery? After our breakfast, biscuits with cold greasy gravy was the best the hotel kitchen could do this morning. We piled into our daily cab for our daily trek to the da- to the cemetery. Wednesday. Half the week gone, but very little progress made. We were almost at the cemetery gates when Anne piped up. You know what? I am not going to live in fear of this apparition. Driver, let's detour to Slater Hospital. Right on cue, the cab blew a flat tire. As the driver got out to fix the flat in the snow, the rest of us resigned ourselves to marching to the cemetery gate, leaving the Slater Hospital for another time. We shuffled through the grim tombstones as Anne sketchily searched around us in all directions, startled at every shadow. You're out of your mind to boldly walk into that hospital anyway. This whole case has stank like spoiled cabbage since we got here. I don't know if we're being too paranoid or not paranoid enough. Yes, but this Zelda person is clearly an amateur. She's trying to fool us, and none of us have been fooled for a minute, right? That forged note in Joe's handwriting had you going. And all this time, you're looking for vampires. I'm no detective myself, but I'm still convinced this is a rogue body stature case. We're always looking for monsters, but it always turns out to be mortal humans staring things up. Spanky, did you see the grass when we brushed away the snow from Landry's grave? I'll indulge your theory insofar as grave robbers might be polite enough to fill the dirt back into the grave, but I draw the line at asking me to believe they'd resod. He does have a point, though. If it weren't for mortal meddling, most of these occult forces would keep to themselves. I quietly mused to myself that I had never seen Anne like this. She had been off balance since we got off the train, having met the citizen who mistook her for Zelda. It occurred to me that Anne hadn't brought any of the Eldritch tomes from her bookshelf with her. Would going without something to read for a week make her go into bookworm withdrawal? The BTs, if you will. Anne stopped suddenly when we were almost to the Reaper's Row offices, standing over a grave. This time, she was spinning a bracelet-sized leather rope with colorful crystals on it in her hand, and I mused how her random occult trinkets impacted our business expenses. The modest headstone simply read, Bennington Smith, 1879. This one. This grave has a weird energy. I think it's another empty one. We should dig it up and check. If that's the closest thing to a lead we have, we might as well go for it. Spanky, would you like to check with Mr. Hatecraft and ask if we can borrow his grave digger? Spanky twinkled off to the office and presently came back alone. He's a few paces back. He's catching up. His name's Otis, but I don't know how they manage around here. This guy is older than Lazarus and seems twice as dead. Sure enough, the tottering ancient man with a shovel limped over to us slowly. This was the best Reaper's Row could hire, apparently. 
The shivering grave digger brought his trembling shovel blade to the grave surface and scraped away a tiny handful of snow. About five minutes later, while we stood by, he was almost ready to go for the second scoop. Ah, we'll be here till spring at this rate. Looks like this is a job for a leprechaun. Spanky pulled his pickaxe from his belt. Huh, can't believe I hadn't noticed that. And jumped in to help the gravedigger with the excavation. His experience with mining came in handy. Spanky moved most of the dirt while politely staying out of the gravedigger's way. It still took us a couple of hours, but we made our way down to the coffin. Spanky and I tugged at the handles on the side, but it was too heavy to move. Bloody thing isn't empty! Hey, Anne! We got an occupant here! Spanky made light of the situation and knocked on the mahogany lid. Knock, knock! Anybody home? And from inside came an answering knock. Goodness, that is an unusually responsive corpse. One side, Spanky. Let's crack this open and see what our Cracker Jack prize is. Ah, no daylight, please, no light! Oh, a corpse that doesn't like daylight, eh? I wonder if you'd like to freshen up with a little garlic. I rustled through the bag of garlic from my trench coat pocket and held it up. Ugh, get that out of my face! So disgusting! What do you want from me? We've been trying to contact you about your automobile's extended warranty. What are you doing digging up the undead? So, are you a vampire? No, I'm a unicorn! Yes, I'm a vampire! What does a body have to do to get a few decades peaceful sleep around here? We have a few questions of our own. The cemetery you're in is missing several bodies, and there's only one thing we can think of that makes dead bodies rise again. Vampire bites. I have nothing to do with it! I haven't disturbed anybody here! I was just trying to hibernate! Anne and I both have considerable experience with vampires. They have their own rules and code of conduct. His returned knock was his implied invitation for us to visit with him, and he was now honor-bound to be truthful by uh, interspecies convention. I glanced up from inside the exhumed grave at Anne. She nodded, confirming that the story checked out. From nearby, I could hear snoring. Otis the Gravedigger, for twas his name, exhausted from his meager contribution, had passed out leaning on a tombstone. Wait a minute. That Haycroft fellow said this was consecrated ground. How could a vampire be here, then? I've seen these priests do their blessings. They mutter some Latin incantations, and they dribble holy water around. They can easily miss a spot. Besides, consecration only prevents new vampires from rising. Oh, so, Mr. Bennington Smith, you were just here for a nap. Oh, no! We have ourselves buried all the time just hoping somebody digs us up to invite us to a campfire sing-along! Will you put me back now? I was expecting to wake up... Uh, what year is it? The year of our Lord, 1950, my undead friend. I have had enough of the 20th century and it's only half over! Fair enough. I have too. 
We'll get you reburied and be on our way. Nighty-night. Well, there goes our vampire theory. Will somebody explain what's going on? Why aren't we just staking him first, just to be sure? Vampires actually do this all the time. You know how vampires are always these rich aristocrats. Didn't they make a documentary, Abbott and Costello Meet Dracula? No, that was Abbott and Costello Meet Frankenstein. So what vampires do when they're down to the last of their fortune? They buy up stocks or bonds or some kind of investment, store it in a safety deposit box, and then go out and fake their own death. Which is pretty easy to do when you have no pulse. They get buried in a pauper's funeral and taken out for a few decades. Then wake up in the future, a millionaire again. They cash in their deposit and get a new identity. And conveniently, having let all vampire lore in their area pass into legend. Then they start feeding on a new, innocent, young generation. And the cycle repeats. Huh, nice racket. How do we know this is the only one we'll find, then? Among the many things vampires hate is competition. They'd never take a chance on an occupied cemetery. Well, you shut up and rebury me already. You're costing me beauty sleep. And I'm getting hungry. I might even start to get cranky. We climbed out of the grave and awakened Otis, who snorted and coughed his way to the hole in the ground and began scooping dirt back over the coffin. We could still hear Bennington Smith down there ranting angrily at us, and I wondered if it would give Otis a start. As luck would have it, he seemed as hard of hearing as he was hard of shoveling. And Spanky and I regrouped to discuss our further strategy in probing grave sites. I raised the possibility of using Anne's crystal ball, but it doesn't show things underground. Anne's feline familiar, Samantha, would be no use since she has to have empty space to teleport into. And it's not like cats have the attention span to investigate rows upon rows of graves anyway. We'd tried origami bats and Ouija boards. What else could we do? I'll try bringing my dowsing rod tomorrow. You can't just pick up any old stick? Nope. Needs to be enchanted first, and I left my essential oils at the hotel. It's going to get dark soon anyway. Might as well call it a day. On yet another cab ride back to our quarters, we stopped off at a liquor store so Spanky and I could restock some essential liquids of our own. And for the little fella, a bottle of Tia Maria. We also stopped at the hotel desk clerk's office to ask why he didn't tip us off that there was an Anne impersonator lurking around. But you told me to look out for vampires getting on trains. You didn't say anything about women who looked like this individual. Besides, how would I know if it wasn't her? Well, we have a doppelganger after us now. Oh, I see. First vampires and now doppelgangers. You want me to believe in those too? It's going to cost you. Okay, mister. So, either your lady friend here or her doppelganger left this for you. The clerk produced a handwritten note. This time, it was clearly in Anne's loopy script handwriting, or a close approximation of it. Joe, don't let her see this. 
I'm trying to help you. You're in grave danger. The sooner you come to see me, the sooner this will be over. Z. For the love of God, again with the notes. Ten bucks says this isn't yours, and... It's not mine, but a really good forgery. She's good at this. She imitated my voice this morning, too. But the perfume gives it away. Indeed. The last time I smelled this, it was on a flapper dancing the Charleston. Clerk, please, we are involved in a serious felony investigation. Have you seen anything else unusual this week? Well, the other night I went to see Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That and a pretty woolly narrative. After a glum and tasteless dinner, we headed back to our rooms. Still achy from the day's digging, I fell into a deep slumber, clothes and all. Later that night, my rest was interrupted by... It came from Anne's room. Spanky and I both hopped up running, only to find Anne asking us to borrow a broom and a dustpan from the front desk to sweep up the broken glass. She had somehow contrived to break her mirror. Sorry, boys. False alarm. I woke up and thought I saw someone in my room. I was so sleepy I drew my lightning wand in a panic. After we dealt with that calamity and I got back to my bed, my final thought before passing out was gratitude that Anne hadn't used her fireball wand. She could have burned the whole place down.